Welcome to the Productivity Mastery Podcast, presented to you by myself, Stoyan Yankov, Productivity and Performance Coach, Keynote and TEDx Speaker, and co-author of the Perform Methodology, and the book, Perform, The Unsexy Truth About Startup Success. Join me on a journey to discover what some of the world's leading professionals do to be more productive, create peak performing teams, and build successful global companies. New episodes weekly. And now, enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Productivity Mastery. Another day, another exact, exciting guest is joining me today. Uh, somebody that I had the pleasure to meet and crack a lot of jokes with during, I think we met first at the breakfast, uh, Jakob, was it? Was it not? 15 seconds. I, I think we we actually met the night before, but you couldn't remember. Mm -hmm. And then we met again. <laughs> at, uh, that, then we met again at breakfast and then the, jack, the jokes began. That was actually how it went. I think. And, and I couldn't remember even now. So um, <laughs> we're going to cut this out from the podcast. But <laughs> so many thanks to, to 15 Seconds Conference in Austria and Graz for for building such a such a great network uh, and providing uh, this this place for us to meet up. And uh, after all the jokes, we we had a more serious conversation and I got to learn about what Jakub is doing and what tomorrow the company that he's a co-founder of is doing. And I was really excited to learn more about his journey. And I'm sure that uh, for you, the listeners, there'll be a lot of things you can relate to on the one side, but also a lot of learnings and lessons from, from the journey of Jakub. So let's just dive into it, shall we, Jakub? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so once again, good morning, folks. Uh, good to see you again, Stoyan, and I'm happy to, to share some of the learnings of my journey. Yeah, and I, for those of you who might be joining us, uh, the, we're recording this early in the morning. So, hey, it's Monday morning. We don't expect many people to join, but for those of you who are joining us live, uh, feel free to post your question in the comments. And uh, we'll try to take some questions on entrepreneurship, on fintech, sustainability, and so on and so forth. So, Jakub, let's let's begin with your journey. Can you give us the two-minute short introduction of uh, what led you, like, what was your career journey prior to tomorrow, and what led you to to start building this company? Sure, I'm happy to share that. So. That's me in a nutshell, Jacob, uh, in the early 40s, father of three kids, uh, born and raised here in Hamburg. I'm calling myself a social entrepreneur for the past, I guess, roughly 15 years now. So five years of this is tomorrow. And before that, I um, had the pleasure and opportunity to build another social business before, which was in a completely different vertical and industry. Um, so it, um, it was called Lemonade and Charity. It was around soft drinks, so fast moving consumer goods. But those two ideas have a lot in common. It's always about, you know, building a business model that adds to, to overall social and ecological value. And whilst I was doing this for soft drinks for 10 years, we now try to do more or less the same in, uh, in FinTech. That was a very short introduction. Thank you so much, Jakub. So <laughs> let's, let's dive into, into the early, early steps of your journey. Mm -hmm. So you guys decide to, to build tomorrow. Um, and just to, for the context, how many, how big is the company right now? How, what is the size? How many employees are you having? 
We're at a size of roughly 100 um, employees um, right now, most of them being here in Germany and most of them again being here in Hamburg, but you know, a, a rest, uh, a few of them squatted all over uh, Europe. So roughly 100 people um, uh, collectively on that mission to, to disrupt the financial industry from a, yeah, from a climate change perspective. Mm -hmm. And, and how, how long have you been running? We've been doing this for almost six years. I think it was roughly five years then that we went live and yeah, approximately one year of, of overall preparation, regulatory stuff, obviously ramping up the tech platform overall. So I think uh, it was early 2018 that we, that we kicked it off officially, five and a half mm -hmm. years then. So let's let's start from the beginning. That the first yeah. year, uh, huge ambitions, lots of energy and passion. I would imagine, but lead us through the beginnings. You and your co-founders. Yeah. Uh, how was the beginning? Like sort of like trying to figure out what you guys are doing, and and did you encounter any challenges on the way of of growing? To I mean, today it's like six years, right? hundred yeah. plus people, things are moving. You guys are one of the top uh, providers in sustainable fintech solutions, but but let's talk about the, the beginnings. Yeah, sure. And maybe I add some more context. I mean, for, for a reason, you were joking that my intro was very, very short. So um, moving back, like looking back at uh, where have we been, where have I been six years ago? I, I had only uh, recently left my previous company, Lemonade and Charity. I needed a breakout, took some time off with my family, um, worked for an NGO for a while, but realized, okay, I, you know, my energy really comes into, into action when, uh, when running a business. And then luckily, um, back then, I had no idea would uh, would ever end up in the financial industry because I'm I'm neither a tech guy nor, nor a, a numbers cruncher, to be honest. Um, so uh, friends of mine still joke how I could end up uh, running a, a fintech player. But anyway, so I back then, six years ago, um, when I was looking for a new challenge, I ran into my uh, two, two wonderful blokes, Enos and Michael, who are now my co-founders. And they already had... Um, met a couple of weeks before and had put some thoughts into how can we use that momentum that was happening in, in the financial industry, you know, digitization hitting that industry very hard. It was, you know, the first years where, you know, those today big players, N26, Revolut, Monzo, they were on the rise. And the idea was how can we use this momentum, but not only bring technological UX change to the industry, but also from a social and ecological aspect. So how can we add ethics to, to a changing industry? Um, and back then, um, Enos and Michael, they were very focused on, on, on the idea of running something investment related, but then collectively we realized that an even lower barrier for people to, to join our mission and to make sustainable finance something more of a mainstream thing, we decided to go for banking because you know a current account is something that everyone needs as soon as he or she uh, becomes 18. And it was just a great moment of time, you know, where there was the banking as a service industry um, was ready to, you know, allowed us to, to build a rather simple application without all the massive regulatory stuff uh, in the first place. So the idea was let's use that idea of ethical finance and adopt it uh, to a digitizing industry. And um, again, as I said, me not having been a tech guy, luckily, I, Enos was a tech guy, um, successful founder of a software as a uh, um, service um, startup before, and Michael was a finance guy, and me having that branding background and, you know, uh, build, um, building 
successful uh, social brands before we we decided to 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 jump on that mission collectively mm -hmm. and and how did a day in the life of the three co-founders look like how many hours did you guys work uh like yeah. can you can you kind of bring us back yeah so um yeah, now i'm sitting here in that um yeah lovely lovely office even uh, back then we didn't even have one we were sitting in that super tiny room in a co-working space here around the corner so it was more or less just us three in the beginning and then um ryan and dennis two of our early uh tech employees joining uh, quickly afterwards and obviously it was just a crazy uh learning journey in the beginning like always but uh, in in our case it was probably a bit um more radical even because none of us had had been working in that industry before as i said michael yes he had some kind of financial background having been a cfo in a fast moving um digital company already but none of us has been building a bank before something alike so it was a lot of of learning of of you know the tech environment the regulatory context you know all this uh, potential service providers and partners so as always it was a wild mixture of everything in those days so not having all the talent talents around us back then because we were running on very little funding in the first days there was a, just a lot of stuff we needed to do ourselves obviously right from social media to copywriting to you know thinking about first design approaches now we have all those experts involved that are capable of doing that much much better than we could but that back then it was a lot of doing it you know iterating failing fast and today we obviously joke about the first prototypes we were kicking the journey off with they looked horrible um, but back then that was the best we could pull off so from what I understand, you you had some theoretical knowledge at least, right? Like you you need to go and you need to experiment and, and fail fast and iterate. Is that something that you learn from, I don't know, the lean startup or some, some like how, how did you come up with that? Or it was more natural urge to, to go and try? Um, yeah, I think it was probably something in between, you know, all of us um, having had been um, entrepreneurs before. So we, we had been at a similar point, maybe it, it, well, obviously in different industries, not that fastly moving industry. So we had an idea and especially Enos having had built tech products before he knew that the agile approach was the way to go. So we couldn't lock ourselves up for months and just, you know, come up with a crazy master plan we needed to hit reality very very quickly and learn and adopt obviously but it was not so strongly connected to a specific agile framework or any strategy book we've all been fans of it was just the reality we were faced with and then you know new learnings come in and you have to adopt um whether it be the business model or any product related stuff or funding so it was just a natural way i think to to evolve back then and uh, not not too much coming from from a theoretical standpoint but just pragmatism plus a little bit of experience before i'd say a lot of uh, founders of a lot of successful companies would say one of the important ingredients for success later on is for you to surround yourself with the right people especially the co-founders and i wonder um, if you can give any advice to the early stage founders who are looking for a co-founder, what what made you guys a great team? Yeah, that's a very good point. And obviously, I can only share my personal experience. So I've never been um, a solo entrepreneur beforehand. So even in my previous company, we were we were three guys running the show, very different 
uh, backgrounds already back then and in our case now tomorrow it's a very very complementary setup and we've been doing this now for almost six years and it's it's working superbly because from a skill set perspective but also from a personality background we're very very different people what we have in common is obviously a very strong overlap in the value set the way we want to work together the way we what kind of company we want to build what kind of impact we want to create with this business but then again backgrounds are very very similar and i think that made it easy in the beginning even though we we didn't have much funding we couldn't hire senior talent in the first place because we were so different like the major aspects of the business had been covered obviously again right i'm so happy we have those designers and copywriters and <laughs> engineers on board but back then i think what what brought us together with the belief of this industry needs to change and we have a an idea of what kind of change we wanted to bring to the industry and how we would wanted to to work together right i've been a, a family dad back then already so was Enos. so we had an idea of you know how do we want to spend our time together how can we yeah, have a proper context to really um, create a high-performing company in. I love that you're sharing that, man, and the fact that you're sharing I was a family dad already, and and we need to build a company around the way we want the company to operate. Because we hear often about these these stories and you know these articles about this is how you build a culture. I mean, there could be many different type of cultures. I mean, if if there's like three, 23 years old, you know, people with so much time that they want to work 80 hours a week and, and they want to go all in, why not? It could be a really productive culture. Maybe you're in a different stage in life. And for you, building this productive culture means something else. The What's important is that you build it intentionally. You, you sit together, you sit together with your co-founders and you talk about what matters to you what kind of company do we want to build what kind of people do we want to attract what are the kind of expectations we set on each other if everything yeah. goes by plan right like how many hours per week are we going to be working in three or four or five years from now yeah yeah I, i'm absolutely agreeing on the other hand i would be lying if if i'd say you know everything was just perfectly articulated back then right i think we had a a very good understanding of what company we wanted to build and what people we wanted to surround ourselves with but obviously in the first days being so hectic as they were we did not find the time to you know have proper management workshops once a week and to articulate exactly you know uh, how we want things to to play out so there was obviously a lot of evolution and learning for the three of us as as well but again compared to how I started my first business 10 years earlier and, and I ran it and it was an exciting journey, but we never took a day off to, to discuss how we feel about things and you know how we how we relate to the, the, the industry where and so on and so forth. So that was very different in the early days of of of, of tomorrow with me, uh, Michael and Enos. We we had a very open dialogue about you know why are we entering this journey again why are we jumping into you know what you always in german you'd say a, a very cold water for all of us so it was it was a crazy adventure and we 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 kind of defined the guardrails under which we were ready to take this adventure and then we we kicked it off and then obviously yes we stumbled and you know came back on our legs again 
Um, but I think that was very, very different to, to, to my first entrepreneurial experience when, you know, exactly what you said, being in the early 20s, not having seen anything, not knowing shit. Uh, that, was, that was a very different approach this time. As you probably know, I'm very um, fascinated about uh, these kind of topics, culture, purpose, and values. And um, together with my co-author, Cristobal Alonso, we've interviewed now probably over 250 successful founders, uh, business leaders, asking them, often I ask them, when did you start talking about culture, about values? Um, give you an example, the, the founder of Miro, the you know whiteboard kind of a yeah. app everybody knows and probably uses uh and the ceo and founder uh andre kusit he shared with us that day one is the time that you need to start talking about values and purpose and align around those things at the same time uh this is not from him but just in general at the same time um it doesn't mean you have to have everything perfectly articulated, right? It's going to evolve in time because you're going to find yourself, discover yourself through through the experiences as well. Like you probably don't know all these answers at the beginning, but you need to have these conversations from the get-go and potentially in the next few months, a couple of years, you get more and more clear. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely agree. And I think, um, you know, having the the bravery to to also articulate you know why are you in this um you know from you know there's there's always so many unspoken things i know people who run a very successful organization and they still i have the feeling it's you know kind of unclear what do they want to have out of this at the end of the day and is that in line with other stakeholders they are surrounded with and i think what made it to some extent easier for us was that we had this clear mission and vision for the company more or less ready not again not in exact words but the idea why did we want to enter an industry that we were not you know particularly emotionally attached to but we thought this financial industry compared to others needed to change so much you know whilst you know food and energy and mobility and all these industries in the past two decades there was was a lot of evolution from an ethical standpoint you know how do you create value how do you produce things and services and the financial industry still runs on very old school on a very old school value set and i mean that was the the initial kick of why we we jumped into the game in the first place so it was clear that we did not just want to to buy another fintech or another unicorn out there but we we started this to to really you know add social and ecological change and obviously having this in common and being the the, the collective denominator that you know gave gave us kind of a kind of a competitive advantage i'd say in that case that we we had a, a strong alignment already without having had you know um heavy management uh coaching sessions in the first place and and, and let's dive into that yeah I'm curious and and of course the no filter no bs kind of answer and that's what i'm expecting from you regarding this the purpose the mission the the, the vision the alignment on the why uh clearly that was something that the co-founders were on the same page about um and maybe that gave you drive motivation in the in the days that you don't want to wake up and, and and do the stuff but you're motivated to go i'm curious though from a practical standpoint how important was that for example when it comes to 
talent attraction, when it comes to investors, clients, and other stakeholders, having a clear why? Yeah, that's a, that's a very fair question. I mean, looking at it now, it is a clear, if not the clear advantage we're having, right? We're probably talking about talent acquisition in more detail later on, but right now we've, we've been uh, successfully um, created a very, very strong employer brand, right? We, we get roughly 3,000 applications per year, which is, I don't know how much more than, than the average industry. And we run on an EPS, which is north of 60. And that we, we have all those metrics in place that represent a very strong employer brand. Back then, only being the three of us, it was obviously tough, right? The, the war for talent, getting getting tech engineers on board without being able to 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 pay crazy wages. It 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 needed a while to spread the word, obviously. Um, but I I'd, I'd say the conversion rate uh, was was much stronger then, right? Because from from the very day first days, it was clear that the three of us weren't in this industry to just build another tech company and sell it after three years or what we just wanted to create something in the long run something that really creates impact at scale and i think people all kind of stakeholders let it be investors or potential talents or press or any other kind of partner realized there was kind of a different vibe to this but obviously it it wasn't it's easier said and then then scaled at the end of the day so i think today i would say that is one of the core assets we do have a very strong mission that is clearly articulated now uh, to the outer world and that helps us bring really amazing talent to this place and you know tell our story and get you know get more reach get whatnot because we have this asset in place but in in the early days um yeah it, i think it was for ourselves as you said it was this it kept us uh, getting up early in the morning or staying up late at night um, but you know that it took us a while to really um, obviously spread the word properly so it became a competitive advantage and i love that you're saying that because people are looking for the quick fix strategy and many of those things they they pay off in the long run but short term you might have to invest time and resources i mean investing in culture investing in your leadership, investing in personal development, investing in the organization operational structure of the company. It might take a lot of, you know, effort and energy to put it into place. And maybe it's not going to pay off initially or the first few months, but it will if you keep on going and keep on doing the, the right things and you keep on making choices for the long run as opposed to short-term quick fixes, which sometimes could be really good as well. <laughs> if something is Yeah, burning, and I think... Keeping that in balance was probably the the, the key challenge, right? I mean, be, having been a brand guy, a brand builder, because I, I forgot to mention that earlier, but my first step in my career was I was a strategic planner for for one of the largest German advertising agencies. So this is where I learned my my crafts. So I, I really believe in building strong bands. But then on the other hand, you know, if you run if you run a business like this, you need to see performance very quickly you you, need, you have only small marketing dollars and you need them to convert rather quickly so keeping this balance between you know learning quickly and doing stuff that pays out uh, concretely and still have that big mission i think that was probably um, I, I wouldn't say the biggest tension between us but that was the biggest challenge right um saying showing people that it works and you know you've, you've been probably talking to a lot of people from the digital industry 
uh, in the past years. Um, one thing is a large mission and vision, and then it's a proof of concept showing, look, we've been out there for three months and this is our traction. And keeping this balance um, until today is probably one of the core challenges. Thanks for sharing, man. I, I think uh, the picture that we paint about success, at least, you know, in the magazines, in the articles, when you see all these kind of milestones and successful entrepreneurs and so on, it's, it's a little bit twisted. Like the process is never linear. You know, the process of success is a mess. Usually it's a balancing out, you know, you have a day like there's no perfect day or perfect week. You might have two weeks that you're just going backwards. Seemingly you keep pushing, but things not going like it's, it's messy. Being a successful entrepreneur is messy. Everything exactly. seems to be working and then boom, you get the next hit and you have to navigate and you go to a meeting and probably didn't sleep because this other thing happened, but you have to do your best and you underslept. So you give your 65%, which is the best at this moment. And, and then you keep going and going. But I, I feel like we're creating this picture that there's this hyper smart and amazing people like Jakob that are just smashing it and they have no bad days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, we, you know, we have this constant running joke, Enos, my, um, um, Michael and myself, because I'm, I'm not the kind of guy uh, reading too much management literature. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm much more of a gut feeling guy. And I'm not saying that's the, the way to go, but that's just me uh, approaching life. And then, you know, there's Michael who who's read it all. And um, I'm always saying, you know, who's more or less entering every management meeting with, you know, a new lesson learned from any crazy successful guy and he that obviously adds a lot of value because he brings those new frameworks and perspectives but then again you always have to take this with a grain of salt right you know what what worked anywhere else is a polished big time <laughs> uh, retrospectively and b you know doesn't again that's you know why i i am constantly hesitant sharing my own experiences because it it comes along with a lot of hybrids because it, it neglects, you know, the privileges I had, the coincidences, the luck, all this. So just because something worked for tomorrow doesn't mean shit for anyone out there else, right? So you, you need to, as you say, it's, it's a crazy journey. It's, it's full of mistakes. And what worked for me does not need to work for someone else. But I think accepting this is already um, is a major step forward. Actually, I actually really like listening to different stories and experiences. And yes, they could be a little polished, you know, in retrospective. But if they're taken with this type of a filter that, hey, I yeah. don't have to follow blindly what this person is saying. I had a conversation, for example, with the the founder of uh, Reebok, the sneakers company. Mm -hmm. Back in the 80s, they made it to the number one sports brand in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. beating Nike and Adidas and uh, it's been a crazy 20 something years journey for them to 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 make it to this moment crazy lot of different you know mistakes and legal issues and, and troubles and personal issues and all kind of stuff like that and, and I I asked him a question I don't remember what was the question and he said don't listen to too much advice don't listen to me I can't give you much advice except believe in yourself believe in yourself you know follow your gut of course listen to entrepreneurs like yeah that's why we're doing the podcast right so we can we can get people into this frame of mind maybe they get an idea tweak it a little bit try it exactly. out 
maybe it doesn't work maybe it does right so but but you can't blindly follow because this strategy worked for whatever tomorrow or or for for amazon or for whoever right and then it's going to work for us that's that's not just doesn't you know but at the same time we need to be getting inspired by successful practices and see if we can get the best uh, tools and strategies uh, so we can be effective yeah i can absolutely i absolutely sign that one <laughs> love it so so you mentioned initially getting uh, getting back to the culture a little bit you, you said initially you guys were just having these conversations more or less on the same page but it wasn't really articulated um i I looked at your manifesto, and uh, I actually really like it. Um, maybe we can put a link afterwards in the podcast notes. Uh, it is so simple and it's so clear. When was the time that you guys decided we need to put together a manifesto about who we are, what do we stand for, what is our purpose, mission, our values, and, and even how do we act? Uh, because at the end of the day, you are in finance and there it's a little bit of a delicate there as well. Yeah, fair point. Um, let me think about this for a second. I think, again, it was it was a constant, you know, iteration. I think setting out that mission vaguely to say, why are we in here to, to bring change that we want to use the, you know, the, the power of money to, for, for positive change that was clearly mapped out uh and more or less in the first weeks or month but you know it, it i think ever since it's it, it had become a, uh you know an iteration of becoming more pre precise and more exact and i think it was only when when you know other gifted people joined us because i think I, uh, what you you always have this myopia a little bit uh, or blindness as a founder that you have internalized it all and you think because it's so strongly in myself why do I have to put, to put it on paper? And I think it was only when other great people, you know, joined to say, okay, look, you guys operate this company um, on the basis of these beliefs and so on. But if you really want us, you know, to, to kind of uh, use the, the potential of all the people around you to the fullest, we need to have, you know, a more explicit process of bringing things to the surface and saying, you know, this is our core values. So I think it was probably a, a a year after our start that we had you know this first collective large workshop uh, workshop where we articulated our our five core values that we operate on ever since and it was then probably one or two years later only that for the first time we we again uh, d uh invested the time to articulate the mission the vision the purpose to really have it you know exact and something you know at some point if you want to scale and if you if you kind of take away parts of your leadership responsibility from the founding team towards others you need to have a solid framework you know something that can they can operate on especially um you know i, I see you nodding and that's obviously all no-brainers but i think um it, it also needed the pressure from from other gifted people to say guys you need to you know put out there what's what's driving you and then maybe add what the, the size of what was the size of the company when when I that think started to become a. Hmm. Um, I think when we did that value workshop back then, we were probably something fifteen to twenty people, maybe, and maybe anything around 50, 60 When we, for the first time, realized, okay, look, we we need to invest 
much more into a more experienced senior leadership team because we we had become a bottleneck you know as founders and we we realized if we really bring this want to bring this to to a new level start scaling the company um, potentially also you know beyond german borders we we need we need other people but that also forced us to you know um yeah to 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 bring things to the to the surface and make it make it much more tangible for others to operate on uh, i love that uh, if you if you're okay i will also read the values because i think people might be inspired to yeah. so so the values uh, as of the day the values of tomorrow <laughs> yeah. a better to number one a better tomorrow for everyone number two we dare to think big number three transparency is queen and king number four let's do this together and number five welcome to our community this is the list of values if you go and find the manifesto it's publicly available you can also see they are described what they mean but i also love the fact that in this manifesto you have clear expectations from your people about how do we do things uh for example there is a their section on gifts and benefits like what what is an acceptable level of gift to be accepted by an employee from from a customer from a stakeholder like all these kind of things that give us a good idea about how do we act in this company you know maybe this type of behavior is okay in another company but this is who we are this is what we stand for and and i wonder you know it's clearly defined after after now now in year six of the journey it looks very simple i wonder how do you ensure that you articulate these things right and and people actually live these values yeah that that's a very good point i mean you, it's obviously probably been quoted here many many times but this you know culture eat strategy for breakfast quote is something we we strongly believe in and we obviously you know um we invest heavily in it now you know as a conscious decision i think back then it was rather you know but like the spirit we were operating on and now we we have a people and culture department which is you know we're, we're 100 people strong and i think they're eight or nine people so compared to the size that's that's quite an investment i would say and obviously they do administration and recruiting and all that kind of stuff but you know we invest heavily into cultural work learning journeys feedback uh, processes etc etc so i think um we've established obviously a couple of formants out, out there one is called among zebras we probably talk about this animal a little later because that because it means a lot to us and for example we have this uh, once a month we have an all hands on deck meeting used to be physical now it's obviously a virtual meeting where us founders share with the rest of the team what's on our mind and you know that we have different kind of chapters one is the health check so we we share the PL of the company with everyone including interns everyone so we show them exactly you know what uh, where do we stand from a financial standpoint what do we learn from this you know what is our interpretation of those metrics obviously it, it comes you know with including explaining all the vocabulary you know you know uh, uh, being a startup guy you you know you throw yourself around with all those buzzwords all the time but somebody new to the industry needs to understand what do they actually mean so it's it's about understanding the business model and the current performance and then we have some uh, an ask us anything format where people can anonymously um articulate any kind of question towards us or any any other person from the senior uh, management and then we uh, we make room um to answer this and obviously some of those questions cannot be answered properly maybe it's 
too too sensitive because they I don't know they want to know what what somebody earns from you know in that in that position and I don't know what but we we make room and that's for example just one way of interpreting that value um, which is called you've read it out there transparency is queen to really make sure this is not you know some fancy word that's been written somewhere uh, in a in a fancy meeting room but this is something we need to to uh, live up to that's you know that's just one way and i could you know constantly go on here um of other ways um but obviously yeah you know let's do this together means we we go to we meet twice for a large party and leave leave office and we've just been uh, spent two days at the lake and try to you know just do fun stuff together but i mean that's probably a no-brainer these days but i think according to every value there's a set of processes and rituals um that we uh, work upon this and maybe just this one last sentence every all hands on deck meeting that could be the one i mentioned a second ago but could be other ones always starts with a uh, reading out loud of the values and saying which value is is in focus today um so we it it, it, it becomes repetitive obviously and you know i would be lying if i wouldn't have rolled my eyes before and say not again reading out those values again but i mean this is it's so important uh, reminding people why we're here what are the guardrails we collectively operate on um you can't say this often enough and uh, this is what we do i love it man i love and thanks for sharing these are the kind of practices and strategies that i'm really happy when the guests on the podcast are sharing again it's not the sexy stuff like oh my god Jakub is gonna say this sexy strategy no this is this is just committing that culture is important committing that these values are important and as you said, well, you have to be the first as leaders to live them and to be the example, but also to create processes and structures in which, because you're super busy to do your things, these things become just something that you, you do, right? Like we started meetings with uh, talking about the values or giving an example about somebody living the values and how do they, you know, what do they mean to us and those kind of things. And it's part of the culture. And, and the percentage of the likelihood of people actually respecting and living them is going to be much higher, right? It's simple math. So very, very, very cool. Love it. Um, any other practices you can suggest for, for people uh, when it comes to maybe crafting and defining the values in the culture of the company? Let's say somebody is in the company right now. They never actually talk about these kind of things. And now they want to you know, to have the first draft of what do they stand for, what their values are. How would you recognize it? Yeah, well, again, I'm I'm, I'm probably not the right one to 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 have the the perfect framework. Obviously, I think mm. there's a couple of beliefs I have. You know, one is invest into this process. You know, and if you if you're not you know experienced or familiar with how to do this methodologies, kind of how to run those workshops. There are experts out there. Yes, they cost uh, they cost quite quite some money, but like everybody, like every all the other experts out there as well. Uh, so I think investing into this, and that's again that took us a while to realize that we need just top notch people to bring us to the next level. And um, so that's one thing to really you know make this a proper investment, like in everything else, like you invest in tech or in marketing or in whatever you need to, to kind of whatever resources you need to to make your business model strive investing into culture is also a financial investment and then i think accepting 
that, you know, trying to bring all you are to business, you know, all your, all your fears and your expectations and your wishes, you know, just, just don't, you know, people tend to play roles in business and they, you know, could be, could be the, the, the shop and, you know, uh, 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 strongly decision-making CEO. And then, you know, you have the soft kind of emotionally driven HR person or whatnot, you know, all those, um, roles that you kind of learn wherever uh, on the business or in school. And I think trying to leave these roles and enter meetings and the business in general as the whole person that you are. So we kind of, we start every meeting with a check-in and even among us executives, you know, saying, you know, how do I enter this meeting? How do I feel, you know, how I, I could, somebody could tell, you know, that he had a bad night or his kid is sick or he had a fight with, I don't know what, or that he's enthusiastic because the football club just won doesn't matter, but just uh, accepting the fact that you, you're much more than, uh, than that role that is given to you. Um, um, and there's, there's a saying, let me think about it for a role is not a soul or anything. I, I, I look it up for you in a second. Okay. So just accepting then, then you're more than the job description you have. Mm. And yes, the job description is, is, is important. And I think starting from this and then there's all those kind of tools out there that help you you know bring this to life and i i'm not saying take a week off or a day you can define values in two hours as long as you're honest and you know bring everything to the table that doesn't mean that you we, we spend half the day here discussing emotions and how things in kindergarten were yesterday that's not the point but just accepting you're, you're more than a person doing a job here um that's at least because people invest so much here right they spend like so many hours here we have a fluctuation that is i think below three percent so most of the people who are here with us have been here for years and plan to be here for years and if we want them to be healthy like mentally sane then we need to accept you know them as a whole obviously and that that starts for me you know um and you know remember like six seven months ago that was the first time when we needed to uh, to do layoffs after five years of constant growth it was a very very heavy time and i think it, it only did not hurt us so badly because we were able to articulate how shitty it felt and the fight we had been going through as management for three months you know thinking about the back and forth. Can we do this? How do we do this? How do we do this humanely? And I think um, only by doing this and, you know, showing how vulnerable we are and, you know, how painful that was brought us to, to, a, to a state of acceptance where people said, okay, that was a necessary decision. Otherwise, you know, the company would have been harmed heavily. And it was not just, you know, a tough um, management call, but you know we're all here together as humans, and I, I think accepting this is the starting point. And then probably you, Stoyan, know much better frameworks than I do how to how to execute on this. But I think accepting this is the beginning. That's fascinating, man, and and it's another learning. We're working now on a, on our second book, which is called Performing Times of Crisis, and by interviewing interviewing so many leaders who've gone through difficult times everybody's gone through difficult times obviously um that's one of the key learnings i mean it's part of your values and culture one of your key values transparency right transparency is, is a queen um to 
for a leader to be direct and, and, and honest when things are hitting, you know, the fan, like when, when these type of things are happening, um, you know, this leaders, sometimes they prefer not to talk about it because, Hey, let's try to resolve it. Let's figure it out. But what you're saying and many other people we talk to is like, well, it's much easier if you actually include people in the conversation. Um, how many people did you have to lay off? And, 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 and then the second part of the question is, what was your way to deal with that? like the mental thing like how did you manage in this stressful situation to remain calm and and you know sane mm. so um yeah facts and figures first um I, I i told you earlier we're roughly at the size of a bit more than 100 people now we used mm. to be 120 125 um earlier this year so it was roughly 20 people affected um mm. so there were some new jobs that were meant to be created that we did not create so i don't i'm not too sure about the exact numbers but let's say you know 15 percent of the the employeeship in general mm. um that was um uh, happening earlier um this year yeah and yeah as i said i mean it, it was it was a process of month yeah two to three months of you know for the, from the first time of thinking about this option after you know constant growth you know we've been hiring 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 and we'd already seen you know the downfall of some other players in the industry i mean you, you're probably aware that the financial the fintech sector overall the digital ecosystem in the past 18 months it, it have been uh, you know uh, rough circumstances um and we we've already seen other uh, players doing it and you know us were being being very confident of of not being forced to, to take that step in the first place and then realizing okay we need to save you know the company we make it we need to make it economically also sustainable because you know those tough contexts they won't disappear um for 2023 and maybe maybe beyond and i think that was also a constant dialogue you know us with the board us among ex executive uh, with other entrepreneurs having been at this point because for all of us it was the first time we we, we only knew the successful side of it until then and so again i think it was um making room for all the, you know the fears you know the, the the feeling of we have failed them and the feeling of you know now we become kind of neoliberal kind of tough management guys that we never wanted to be etc cetera, etc cetera. and balancing out obviously you know um perspectives from the board um who had been you know in previous situations and i think coming to a place to to acceptance at some point and then also say okay how can we do this in accordance to our values and then when our people of um our director of people and, and culture katrin also joined the conversation and say okay let's do this the tomorrow way so that was roughly a year ago. So we, what we started the process with was um, kind of working time reduction. So we collectively all went down, not everyone, but voluntarily from five working days to four working days to say, okay, let's try to not uh, have anyone leave. And so there was a huge collective momentum of, okay, let's, let's try this. So we did this for six months. It did not work out fully mm. because we needed to realize more costs needed to be cut but that was already an approach to say okay we try to find ways of you know mitigating this situation that feel good for everyone and that you know can be aligned with our culture and at some point we we realized okay 
we we need to go one one step deeper in a way and then again to to find a way you know we had a very transparent way of articulating why is this happening and then you know obviously find packages for those leaving you know make sure we they they find a proper another company so just make sure that it's not just a tough call give i think the most important thing about leadership is is trying to give as much context as possible so transparency is not about you know killing people with all the details but giving context making context make you know try to give reason to your decisions and that's that's what we tried and obviously it, it stayed painful you know seeing people leave who had done a great job but i think people realized it was totally in line and for the for the best of the company and that's you know after those months then then we were already at peace with it still you know it left me crying in that one meeting where where, where i needed to announce this um but i realized um not not doing this would have been even worse and we, we i think we found a way to 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 let people go in a, in a proper proper manner and now you know we 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 we, we they stayed parts of the family and i think that worked out so we didn't see any fluctuation afterwards that's usually what happens right i know it from so many other companies they let 20 percent of the people go and then you know a few months later 20 more percent those those people that they wanted to keep are also going and we did not see this at all and i think because we gave context we gave reasoning and we had processes in place that made sure that our values are, are not just fancy words on the intranet but something we live up to People want to to see that they they're being taken care of, and even if this kind of difficult situation, and this is part of the job of the leader, is to make the tough calls. Sometimes you gotta, you know, gotta do what you gotta do, and it's not it's not nice. It's it's painful. I mean, people who never been in a leadership position, they sometimes see leadership as like this really cool and fancy thing you do, and oh, yeah. and it's just I you're smiling, it <laughs> you're smiling. You go to conferences, you speak, you're. You know, and you get many of these perks, but you also majority of the time it's about resolving problems and 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 making calls and decisions and and some of them are very difficult decisions. But when you put your heart into it and when you genuinely care for people and you do your very best and you communicate with them, they're a lot more likely to accept it and to respect you as a person. As you said, well, you can lay people off, but you can also try and recommend them to some other places you can do some like talk to them where do you want to grow what can we do for you how can we make sure that this is not affecting you and your family and and then it's it's a different story then everybody sees it because it's genuine everybody else yeah. sees it then they're like you know what i want to follow these leaders because it's a tough time but but they're trying their best they intentionally want to to help everybody and be there for everybody else so yeah, um, yeah, absolutely agree. That, that that's that's leadership in a nutshell, right? Um, you know, you know, um, safeguarding the company, and and making calls that you know that's what you pay for, and but you know, adding ad, doing this in a value driven manner and explaining yourselves properly, um, I think is that's the way to go. How do you? How do you? Because I mean, crisis is one thing. Situations like the they happen often but but also on a day-to-day -day basis what are your and i know you're not a tools framework kind of guy you're more intuitive that's why i'm asking like what do you do to stay at the top of your game and when 
let's say you're overwhelmed, you're tired, you're not in a good mental place. How do you get yourself up uh, when, I don't know, something hits the company or yourself and you have to, you have to be there and lead the people? Yeah, good point. I mean, I think one thing is obviously we try to surround ourselves with people who, who know much more than we do, who've seen more. Um, you have, you know, different diverse backgrounds. So we have two advising buddies, um, the, the, the form, uh, the, the kind of the proper advisory board and um, where we have um, representatives from all kind of stakeholder groups, actually. So we, we have a much more diverse approach to our advisory board than most of the other tech companies we know yes we have uh, investors sitting there but we have people from science we have someone uh, representing our community our customers and someone also representing our employees so we try to make sure that in the rooms or at the table where the most the toughest decisions are being taken we have all uh, all perspectives around us again you know at the end of the day it's usually us making the calls but we make sure that um, you know we've heard all uh, all perspectives that's obviously one thing. And then it's it's a constant work on your own yeah, limitations, obviously. So since two years, us as an executive team, we have an executive coach um, who joins us right now. It's, I think it's once a month um, for a full day um, where we try to you know leave the, the daily hustle as much as possible. Sometimes it is still related to concrete strategic questions, but it's also you know, about, us, about ourselves, how do we operate among us? You know, how do we share responsibilities and roles? How do we uh, hold ourselves accountable? So just recently, I think it was two weeks ago, um, and it was a, it was a tough call, right? To to give each other very very honest feedback and you know shine light on things where we where we see room for improvements at the other persons and so on. So we constantly accept the fact that uh, we're we're far from being perfect. And we need, you know, someone, um, you know, um, creating that space that we sometimes probably wouldn't be able to create ourselves or hold that space. So I think working on us as managers, making sure we have all kind of perspectives around the table. And then obviously when it comes to me as a person, you know, everybody has his little tricks, you know, for me doing sports and just leaving the city helps a lot. Obviously, you know, my wife, my partner is, is, is somebody who, who you know knows me much better than I do. You know, then there's this uh, all those other little tricks. But I think the first two ones are, you know, what we try to 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 keep in place to to stay sane and um, make sure, yeah, we we do um, smart and long term decisions here. Mm. You talk about it. You you yeah. you have the right people. Your co-founders, the coach, uh, the board, other smart people that you can you know the, the the close network the family place that you can you can share when you are off track and get the yeah. support immediately that's such yeah. a great point by the way as as simple as it sounds there's it's so difficult for some people for to share that you know they're not feeling well and they need help so the fact that you actually create these systems around you structures that you can immediately yeah. do that it's uh, it's super important. Jakob, I have a final sort of a question area that I want to to ask you about and and I'm even more excited because you mentioned at the beginning that you were the guy who were planning um you know this uh, marketing agencies and and so on at the beginning. What do you do these days to make sure that you personally allocate your time and energy appropriately do you 
how do you plan your week, let's say, and or your day to day? What do you do? Yeah, well, uh, you, you could say I'm I'm a good planner. I'm probably not too much actually. Um, okay. I think most of the most of the week is quite structured, to be honest. So because you know I have a, still a couple of direct reports, you know other and other directors and heads. So most of the week is is actually we have proper ways of you know where we check in with with each other sometimes it's, it's about daily business but then once a month we have you know talk about the learning of uh, each and everyone we usually make rooms or islands i do create islands where i have room for you know not meeting not kind of meeting work we have the meeting free wednesday um or, or so where we try to keep room for really you know content driven content driven work and then you know the, i usually use the friday again for myself to just don't don't meet anyone but just create stuff where i can you know focus and and organize myself but i don't have you know um so much proper tricks i i think we we i usually tend to go with the flow i have some structures in place to make sure people get the attention topics get the attention they need so you know there's there's some solid structures around it because as i said i'm a gut feeling guy you know i'm i'm, I'm highly enthusiastic about things i jump on topics fast and to make sure I don't lose lose track and go, don't get torn away by my enthusiasm, we I have those you know fixed structures in place. But also needed to force myself to keep room to not get pulled into the business too much, right? And that's that's what the meeting free Wednesday in my case is also the Friday is sure. And then I keep um, I keep the weekend holy. So that's I try to make sure that there's uh, there's room for the kids and nothing fintech related at all i love it man i love the fact that you know who you are and probably if you were to follow some sort of a strict system for planning and organizing your time probably it's not going to work for you because you're not that kind of guy as as yeah. long as at the end of the day as long as you get done the things that you get done you're feeling productive with the results well, you got to find your way to do that. I, I like exactly. structures, you know, I like lists. I like uh, a little bit of, I'm very creative guy. So I need to, you know, tame myself <laughs> with, with these kind of lists and, and structures and frameworks, because otherwise I'll be all around the place, which is yeah. why I keep a list of my top three priorities. Oh yeah. No, I do have this. I could have mentioned that. And mm. you know what? The funny thing is, you know, being, being more of the creative, if not to say chaotic guy, I'm I I love written words, so I'm the guy mostly taking minutes and in, in in most of the meetings, even among our executives, we, I I like to have things in words, and I'm I I have this little talent maybe to to be part active part of the of of a meeting and still writing notes. So I think writing notes, sharing notes, is something that is very important to me. So things I need to have them articulated. Um, black on white that does help me a lot so in general if, if i have one secret tool it's probably writing for me writing things down we don't have this you know this kind of amazon like kind of you know you need to write a, a whole page of your hypothesis before you're allowed to enter a meeting but we're halfway there so writing down thoughts is something uh, that helps me a lot and i try to to push this into context where i operate as well my coaching clients think things that think that they are the I'm the most uh, 
structured person in the world because I send them this like email with all the bullet points and everything yeah. structured and, and they think I do it for them and I do it for them but I do it for me because, yeah, exactly. because I meet them in two weeks I, I'll forget half of it my brain doesn't work like this so yeah, I need the exactly. bullet points for myself more than I need it even for them yeah. so <laughs> you gotta you gotta do you you gotta do yeah, you Jakob yeah. thank you so much for being with us uh, just to wrap up this episode uh, I would like uh, to give you the chance to, to, talk, to tell us a little bit more about tomorrow And what do you guys do? Where are you currently? Are you looking for new people? Like who are the people that you serve? So our audience could potentially, you know, f find a chance to collaborate with you or maybe even apply for a job with tomorrow. Yeah, yeah man, thanks. So um, one last advertising block to end the show with. There you um, go. So yeah, um, so in a nutshell, what we're doing. So we're uh, Europe's leading digital uh, sustainable platform for For finances, um, so we do um, banking and we offer digital banking and investment services to our community, which is currently um, at a size of uh, 120,000 customers, most of them in Germany. So we, we do market the, uh, the German market alone yet, but Europe is to, uh, around the corner, corner, I would say. I won't get uh, much more concrete. Uh, so what people can do, we, we create them a digital financial home where they can turn their own everyday finances into a driver of positive change meaning you know you just you have your current account but we also have investment solutions etc etc so just to make sure you organize your own financial well-being um with a state-of-the-art technology but also with a feeling that you know ethics are, are in proper place um as i said we're roughly an, an organization of 100 people very tech and engineering driven so almost half of the organization being in, in product and engineering but also you know, heavily believing in, in a strong brand, so a strong brand and uh, communication force. We always have open positions from people all over the world. Uh, like, as I said, um, <laughs> tomorrow.one, uh, um, you, you can find more about our mission, about our products, but obviously who we are as an employer. Um, we need, we always need uh, good, smart, diverse folks to, to join our mission uh, to bring sustainable finance to the heart of society. Love it. Love it. You heard the man, ladies and gentlemen. If you are excited about this, make sure to go check out tomorrow.one. Um, for the at the least, you need to go and check out the manifesto and, and get inspired about the way they structured it, um, the mission, the vision, the values. And for sure, get curious about what they do because it's amazing. Uh, so... And, and thanks once again, Jakub, for, for being with us and, and being so generous with, with your insights, being so no-filter guy, sharing things as they are. For everybody who's been listening to the episodes and you enjoyed it, make sure to share it with a friend. This is episode 163, meaning there's 162 more episodes with amazing leaders like Jakub. So make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and all other major platforms. The more people subscribe, the better the guests we can attract to this show. So thank you so much for being with us and see you once again next week on the Productivity Mastery Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe to my monthly newsletter by visiting stoeniankov.com and also learn about the Perform Methodology and the Perform Book as well as our various personal and team coaching offers. Stay tuned and keep performing.